So 2020, zero to a million. 2021, last year, a million to just shy of four. And this year, we're shooting for a two to three X. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey, folks. My guest today is David Boscovic. He's a CEO and co-founder of Flatfile, the hypergrowth platform on a mission to accelerate human innovation by automating and securing data exchange. Now, I love his origin story here. He first built Flatfile in 2018 after redesigning, and a bunch of you guys who are engineers, you're going to laugh at this, redesigning that annoying CSV importer for the millionth time that the founder or the your product people go, we need a better importer, dashes are messing it up, or a question mark is messing it up, or it's a euro sign instead of a dollar sign, and it broke the whole importer. He basically built that over and over and said, you know what, I got to fix this. So since then, Flatfile has completed over 26 billion data mapping decisions for companies like Sage, CBRE, Square, HubSpot, and ClickUp. The last two, Brian, Hal, and Zeb Evans, both being recent guests on the show. David, are you ready to take us to the top? Let's go. All right. What was the company, by the way, where you were rebuilding these importers over and over again? It wasn't so much all rebuilding it at one company, but just over 15 years in SaaS, having built it at each company over and over again. And I've worked at a number of companies, consulted at companies over my career, and almost every time, right? You're building, SaaS is building empty box product that provides some value to customers, it requires their customers to bring data. You build a CRM, useless until the customer brings their data. You build a visitor management system, which is the company I was working at before Flatfile, Envoy, and you need your customers to bring lists of employees and daily lists of visitors coming to their building. And you realize that by and far, like software and SaaS products have to solve this data import, data onboarding problem. And early on, you might solve it with like, a simple, like, here's a CSV template, fill this out exactly, upload it, and we hope it works, right? Um, but eventually, and this, you know, sort of where it came to head at Envoy, once again, sort of for, for me, was we had customers that were sending their teams in early, an hour every day to manually enter in the visitors that were coming to their offices, because we couldn't accept the format of the file that was coming from their ancient building management system. And you, you see this across almost sort of every industry, whether it's supply chain, healthcare, etc., People are coming from legacy systems. There's no cute API that you can connect to to get your data automatically synchronizing via Zapier in when you're coming from a system that was built 20, 30 years ago. And that's that's where the majority of SaaS innovation is happening, right? We're solving these problems that maybe last were innovated on multiple decades ago. And that's mm-hmm. this incredible open market, but that data is coming from vastly CSV files. And David, how did you have, there's a lot of my listeners that are stuck in corporate and they say, Nathan, I'm trying to spin out. I have an idea. I want to spin it out. How did you get the conviction to quit the full-time gig and say, this problem is big enough. It's I'm eating my own dog food, but it's big enough to build a whole yeah. company around and really launch Flatfile in 2018. Yeah. So I've been a founder a couple of times. I started my first tech company in high school, actually. Uh, we built banking software for large banks. Um, it was custom You're an software. engineer by trade then. I, I, I <laughs> born an engineer. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, yeah, that was a huge opportunity to learn the enterprise side of things. Then I built a SaaS CRM for nonprofits, which was, you know, understanding much more of the SaaS world. 
Um, and then, you know, over the years working at different um, startups. Um, so starting a company wasn't the, wasn't the part that was hard for me particularly, but I've had failed startups before. I've spent all of my money and then lost it and shut down startups before. I didn't want to no, do that. No, no, David, hold on. Quantify <laughs> it. Make, make us help us feel that pain. You spent like a hundred grand or 10 grand. Oh, your own no. Money. Uh, so my first startup, actually my first startup walked away with a handy seven figures and then burned that on my second startup. Um, so, <laughs> um, you know, the, the ebb and flow of things. Um, so I was, I was intent not to sort of just like, just like get super excited about this problem and go like, jump ship. So I actually like it started as a passion project. I wasn't sure if it was going to be open source. I had a friend who was looking for work. So I hired him to build it out. And then I like I stuck it up on Google ads. And I like so I think it's been like $50 a week. And I was like, here's three keywords that I'm pretty sure everybody who's looking for this is searching for. And what were they? I swear I have never seen product market fit like that on an idea. What were they, David? Uh, well, for us, it was like CSV React, CSV Angular, CSV, anything that was like, I'm building an app and I need CSV support for it. And those like, that was like our core set of like initial. So this was, these keywords. ads were before you had the, the product built. Be, oh yeah. This was like side project territory. <laughs> so what did you see in the click-through rates on the Google's ads where you said, oh, product market fit here. It's worth me to write the code. The, the, the click-through rates were less of the... Uh, validating point here that more of the validating point was almost every person who was clicking through and sort of signing up was actually activating right they were playing with it they were embedding it in their app or they were you know coming in sort of wait but i thought the code wasn't built yet you had an mvp then already oh this was an mvp this was a side project like Ah, like open source almost sdk version of of this thing yeah i see you could you could get it and you could install it um what was the product there were a couple of key product market fit moments for me one was uh, uh, ca- uh, a product manager from Capital One signed up and like was like, "Hey, like we want to talk to you about this product. We really need it." And they were trying to build like a bulk ACH payment like feature where like you could upload a list of invoices and pay them. And they're like, "This is exactly what we're trying to build." And it just it, it it expanded my mind because I was like, "Wait, I'm building this for all these SaaS companies that I know and love." But I just realized, wow, an enterprise like Bank of America also is trying to build a little SaaS feature. And then when you think about this, whether you're CBRE or whether you're a you know, large multinational bank, you have hundreds of internal tools that have more users than the average like billion dollar SaaS product, right? Like, mm-hmm. like <laughs> CBRE yeah. has internal tools with 50,000 brokers using it every day, right? You're just like, that's, that's insane, right? Like that's, that's the opportunity for these, these enterprise companies to build these internal tools and, you know, they reflect fast. Well, and you're seeing huge. like net dollar retention, <laughs> dollar signs flashing your eyeballs, yeah. right? You know, you start with yeah, one. Yeah, I'm just like, if bank, yeah, yeah, absolutely right. If bank, if bank of America needed this, um, yeah. then there's going to be a huge potential. Um, obviously, you know, it's a side project, not even incorporated. We didn't work with Bank of America at the time, but uh, it was an incredible validation of the market size. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay, so you then okay, so you officially get going in 2018. Now, but yeah. before I want, I'm going to go back to your origin story here in a second. But I want to fast forward yeah. you today for a second. Yeah, people that are listening right now, going, I want this thing. How cheap is it to get started? I assume you have a free plan, and and if that confirm if that's true or not. And then secondly, of your paying customers, what's the average customer paying per year to use this technology today? Yeah, uh, so we have a startup program for small companies. We just give you the product for free. Like we don't try to monetize at the low end of the market. Um, because that's just, you know, we're nickel and diming. We want to align sort of our price point with a growing company that's seeing value. And that's where we sort of start our pricing. 
Um, our average ACV is, is, you know, at the at the we have, you know two segments that put the enterprise segment aside, but at the sort of mid market commercial segment, it's about ten fifteen thousand um, dollars. Okay. So that's that's the sort of average amount customers are paying us there at the high per end year. of the market. This per goes year, well, right? Yeah, per year. Yeah, per yep. year. At the high end of the market, this goes well into the few hundred thousands. Um, but that's you know where you know there's millions of users and enterprise customers. So just real quick, um, don't obviously name the account, but you have an account. Yep. It sounds like it's paying maybe three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars per year. Those big accounts, is it because just of number of data validated rows, or what's the utility metric you're upselling against? Yeah, we generally, uh, uh, depending on the type of use case, but let's go sort of the three-way use case of onboarding. How many customers are getting into your system? That is a high mm -hmm. ROI point. We have two products, right? One that's a button you embed in your product. And in that case, it's usually like a PLG scenario, right? Early on, like ClickUp was a customer when they were just five and five, six employees. And we've been been with them as they've grown as Wow, that's a big, we've seen, that's expanded a lot. Right, exactly, right. But we've seen, you know, many of those ClickUp customers, the first things they thing they do when they buy ClickUp is, oh, I'd like to upload a list of tasks and see how this works. And so you get in that sort of PLG motion, right? That getting that data into the box is pretty important. But on the flip side, right, if you're a large sort of enterprise SaaS company like Workday, you're spending seven months onboarding each customer, but a lot of that is still emailing spreadsheets back and forth. So we serve yeah. both of those. And as you can imagine, right, the ROI per customer changes significantly between those scenarios. So we, we, we generally anchor our economics around the customers that are onboarding or the or using the system. So and so what's the breakdown model. between, and if you look at your whole revenue pie is 100%, mm -hmm. what percent would you say is mid-market versus enterprise? We are still largely mid-market. Uh, okay. From a revenue percentage, about 20% of our revenue is full enterprise. Um, okay. And then, you know, for a lot of our, our highest value customers oftentimes are not enterprise themselves, but are SaaS companies serving enterprise. And to help this make a little more sense, right? If you might only be 50 people, but if you're spending $50,000 onboarding each of your enterprise customers, this is going to have a lot of value for each of those transactions, right? So we'll save you the vast majority of that time creating, you know, opportunity for like better gross margin, et cetera. So some, sometimes these small companies are actually some of the highest value uh, customers to us because we're de delivering so much ROI there. That makes tons of sense. Okay, so now let's go back to the All know, right, customer hard, number one. Yeah, when did yeah. you decide, okay, this is bigger than an open source SDK. I'm going to put up a paywall. I'm going to close my first customer. Um, so this was a super intense time at Envoy. I like almost completely left it alone for like six months. Uh, we were launching a product and this was just like running in the background. People were signing up, implementing it in their apps, wasn't paying a lot of attention. Um, coming around the like December uh, of, of 2018, 2017, 20, uh, I have to remember this now. Um, I like went back and looked at the data and there are 20 companies that had added this widget to their application. I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's like actually being used. Wait, wait, and against I, how many downloads? I want to get the conversion rate of activated. So how many to total downloads? Okay. Uh, so, uh, well, there's, oh, against, I think we had about 100. So about 20% of the people That's that had good. like, you know, signed up with GitHub, set up trials, et cetera, had, you know, set up accounts. Yeah, super good early on. Um, and this is like highly targeted, right? Like five very specific keywords. It's not like, we're not pretending that that's scaled. Uh, <laughs> um, but of those 20 customers, they had done already 20,000 onboardings across them. Wow. And I went and looked at what we had been able to observe in that. And there were hundreds of thousands of mapping decisions that we had tracked and hundreds of thousands of data correction decisions across these customers. and 
I had this like light bulb moment. I like went when I tried to convince my co-founder to join me. I was like, this is the Tesla opportunity of data. At no point in history has an ETL product had this level of volume of access to subject matter experts. If we were a traditional ETL product, our first 20 Can you define ETL just for the, everyone on Extract, the transform, load. Uh, this is you know, tra traditional world of taking data from one system into another. Um, but traditional ETL product would have had 20 data engineers, and that would have been your pilot customer group. Instead, because we were embedded in these products, we had 20,000 subject matter experts across different industries going through and labeling data and correcting it. And I realized that like we had solved the access problem, the biggest access problem, the subject matter expert training in order to build an automation of the entire flow. So fast forward three years now, with the billions of decisions we've observed across our customers, we can automate 97% of the decisions in the data exchange process. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know, that's where I went and pitched to pre-seed investors on. It's just like the wedge market inside of a widget you can add to your SaaS application. The real opportunity here is the amount of training that we can get out of each of these decisions as each person onboards through Flatfile. So this was in 2018, 100 downloads, yep. 20 activated, and across those 20 mm -hmm. activated, 20,000 onboardings, which you're learning every time someone trains that one onboarding. Yep. It's a lot of learning. Yep. What, is that, what are those exact same numbers today? We have seen, we see about 2 million onboardings a year now. Uh, so <laughs> significantly different and about across about 500 SaaS customers. Wow. And do you still measure like open source SDK downloads? Um, we still, we set, we definitely still track that. That's not a metric though, that like the primary metric for us is companies that sign up and then sort of go through this onboarding process with us. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so the SDK is like your top of funnel free marketing, but you just focus, mm -hmm. you don't care about conversion rate from SDK download to 500 customers. We, you just care yeah. about customer signed up. Now, how do we get them onboarded? Correct. Yeah. And if okay. you're a developer who's just using the SDK, like you're, you're not, we, we don't even sort of put you through any sort of sales or marketing pipeline, like developers, your goal here is to understand the product, prove that it's going to be valuable for you, and then advocate to your VP of engineering or VP of product who's going to make the buying decision. Yep. This is amazing. Okay. So again, I don't want to bury the lead here. Can we take 500 yeah. customers times 15,000 minimum ACV? That would put you guys north of 8 million in ARR today, right? Um, definitely putting me on the spot on a revenue metric. Um, so we we grew our first year, we grew from uh, zero to a million, um, which is just incredible journey. Uh, That's and then we went from a million, right? uh, uh, 2019, zero to a million. Um, right. the, you know, company starts early 2019, 2020. Dang. Uh, yeah, 20. <laughs> <laughs> then we went a million. Uh, no, we're actually like, we're, we're a year off here. Uh, so 2020, zero to a million. Uh, 2019. Sorry, 2021, last year, a million to just shy of four. And this year, we're shooting for a two to three X. So tracking in that range, I'm not going to be specific about where we're at right now, but you're, you're, you're thinking about it right. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. anytime someone has customers that you know you start off charging a thousand bucks a month, and you have customers already, even if it's just a handful of two or three paying $300,000 mm -hmm. per year, like there's a clear expansion motion here. Explain yeah. me from your org chart and talent perspective, how you're investing in that expansion. Do you give customer success reps an NDR target, for example? Yeah. So there's two ways that we expand with customers. Um, vertically, where they're growing and we're growing with them, right? Like, if you're ClickUp and you start with five people and you have a few hundred customers and now <laughs> many more than a few hundred customers, like that's an opportunity for us to expand. Just so you guys know, Zeb came on the show and said they broke yeah. 80 million bucks in ARR and that they were going to break <laughs> 200 million in ARR this year, right? Zeb's a sales guy, so I don't know if yeah, yeah. he's that this Look, year, he, but... he can chill his numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Zeb.
um, but yeah, it's you know incredible to grow along with us, and that's where we really care about sort of coming alongside early. And we don't really try to monetize when you're a small company and you're just a few people. We know that you know if you're going to grow and we're going to help you grow, there's an opportunity to grow with you. Um, then there's the horizontal expansion. This is where success starts mattering a lot more because it's use case number one and then use case number two. Well, what are those? What are those? What's one, two, three? So oftentimes with our customers, there's a starting use case that's really simple. It's we need an import contacts button in our application or something like that. Import inventory, import something, right? And then there's more places in that product where they may want to import. So that's an opportunity to expand across there. But almost every SaaS company starts opening up an enterprise motion and they start dedicating you know months to onboarding these customers. And that process oftentimes has 50, 100 plus hours of services to go through that customer's data, get it into the system. So that's where we are able to sort of have both the like PLG sort of button in your application and an expansion motion as you start opening up these enterprise deals. That is, allows us to have those conversations to track with their business model and make sure that we're sort of serving additional use cases across the org. With the rollout of what we're codenaming X here, there's a preview of what's coming in the next few weeks, we're actually taking all of the fundamental building blocks that has enabled these two successful products that our customers use and opening them up to our customers to build whatever they want on top of that. So all of the core APIs, all of the training engines, yours as building blocks. This will open up another set of use cases where customers oftentimes don't have, their use case doesn't fit that sort of button or that workspace idea exactly, but they have incredible set of problems where they're trying to exchange data at the edge of the business. And that's mm-hmm. this is where our platform is gonna come in, unblocking those customers. Do you guys care about valuation right now, specifically your valuation? Do you think you might raise soon or sell a portion of the company? There is no other tool on the internet that you can use to get a better and higher valuation than FounderPath's new valuation tool. We have over 253 deals that went down over the past 30 days, all the revenue numbers, all the valuations, and the multiplier. That way you can go filter the data, find companies that are your same size, what they sold or raised for or at, and then use those as comparables in your decks to argue and debate and get a higher valuation and less dilution, which is the name of the game, less dilution. Check it out today at founderpath.com forward slash products, that's plural, forward slash valuations. Again, both plural, founderpath.com forward slash products, forward slash valuations. You guys, check this out. Obviously, uh, you can go You can go sign up uh, for FlatFile today at NathanMacca.com forward slash FlatFile. I'll get you that link in the show notes. Uh, there's a good product tease from David. But David, talk to me about economically how you built the business. So you've chosen not to bootstrap. Walk me through the... When was the first round closed? First round was closed in mid-2019. Uh, so around June 2019. Um, we had I quit my job sort of entering that year. Um, so January... February, March, raising, you know, got the round closed um, going into that was the first time I had ever fundraised myself. What um, did that you was, raise like, in that pre-seed? <laughs> we did a $2 million pre-seed led by okay. A4 Capital, dedicated pre-seed fund. Absolutely love the, the, the team there. Fair, fair. And most folks in their pre-seed back in 2019, I mean, you're selling, it's expen- it's dilutive. I mean, you're selling 15 to 20% of the business on average. Yeah. Were you sort of in that average range? Yes, definitely. Okay. Okay. So that's like sort of a 6 to $10 million post-money valuation way, way back then. Yeah. Okay. And then what did you do? Then we did, uh, we grew for about seven months. Uh, we got preempted, uh, did a seven, six, seven point six seed with two Sigma. Um, then we got preempted about seven. That months was 2020. Again. That was entering 2020. Yep. Okay. 
uh, entering the pandemic, uh, new territory, <laughs> got preempted again um, in later that year for our Series A, which turned into a $35 million Series A, uh, led by Scale Ventures. Um, and like, at, but because both of these are preemptive, we you know amassed capital um, in a way that like gave us an incredible amount of runway. Um, and we, you know, our focus was not to try and burn that capital as quickly as we could. Focus was to make sure that we, you know, had plenty of runway and had an opportunity to innovate as as much as we needed to while creating a category. And this is maybe the one thing that I think gets lost in uh, on a on a lot of sort of business models is category creation is incredibly expensive because yeah. unlike you know innovating in, in a, with a new CRM where you can all of your sort of education your customers is clearly done and you get to be better, right? You get to differentiate yourself. Telling people like, hey, this is something that you've exerted services on or spreadsheet templates to for before, and there's now a product with this. You know, the alternative flat file is not another product. It's not an ETL system. It's something you built yourself or it's manual services. And that was it has been an interesting. Well, so what are you calling your space? HubSpot would be inbound marketing. What is it for flat file? Like data onboarding for us. Yeah. So this is a category that we created uh, and it's a category we've been able to build and own, but that is incredibly expensive from a brand creation perspective content and and edge customer education side and mm-hmm. you know as we build this company and there's you know more and more sort of ankle biters and entering the market they get the benefit from that sort of category creation a bit um, but that's i think where the funding has been the most useful is in like plowing through that forest and making sure that we are able to to clear the way and create that category for uh, the market yeah I'm just looking at the, I'm not going to name yeah. your competitors on your show, but when I do data onboarding <laughs> in Google, I'm like, okay, they're doing something right. We yeah, have four competitors, <laughs> a minimum of four competitors paying for ad placement against that keyword. Oh yeah, you um, just searched it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So that so series, so series A closed last year, the 35 million. Yep. Okay. And then is that yep. done? Then you're done funding wise? Yeah. Then we, then we were done funding wise until today where we announced a $5 million series B. And again, opportunistic. We still had an enormous amount of capital entering this year, headwinds and looking at our incredible growth last year, well into the top decile, um, there is an opportunity for us to make sure that we had enough capital to to continue building the company that we wanted to build and potentially sort of uh, evade even David, you cut out right when you uh, said the number. Did you say five zero million or one five million? Uh, five zero million. So five collectively, zero, we've, we've come up to about a hundred million total in funding. Yeah. Um, okay. So hold is, on, because you know, I want to give you a chance to sort of defend yeah. yourself in front of my audience, because they're immediately <laughs> going to take the revenue we just talked about, which is under eight million, yeah. and a hundred million in funding. Yeah. How do you, as a founder, I think they'll agree with you. Like, it's good to have a war chest right now in this economy, but also like this is expensive for me from a dilution perspective. Unless you're just really good at getting super high valuations, because the story you're telling. But how do you think about that balance? I think it's a massive market, and I think the willingness to sort of accept capital has to has to come alongside with the size of the market. This is something that we believe is one of the largest addressable markets in the world. Every single company has to exchange data, and this doesn't matter if you're applying for a bank loan, you're a home builder placing orders at Home Depot, or you're a SaaS company. Everybody has to exchange data because that's just how business works now. So when mm-hmm. we look at this sort of market opportunity for us, there's no back pressure saying, hey, you're not going to be able to fill these shoes, right? And then the question just becomes how quickly. I think in a different market where your where your addressable market is is lower, there's a lot of discipline that should be exerted and uh, uh, thinking about the capital. Um, when it comes to where we are right now in the market, though, everything's shifted a bit, right? Last year, 
the bar for valuations and bar for getting more capital was very different than it is right now. Well, David, think- talk about that. Talk about that difference for a second. So in 2021, you cared about metric yeah. X. Today, you care about yeah. metric Y. By and far through 2020, 2021, right? Uh, this is going to be top line growth. At that point, right? Like, you, you know, you talk to your board, you talk to investors, nobody's paying an enormous amount of attention to the cost of acquiring these customers. And especially in a category creating business, that's not the most concerning thing, right? Amassing sort of market presence and top line revenue, especially with great NDR, right, is very valuable. In Fast this world, forward to though, today, you just closed 50 million Series B. What's important different. today? We care almost entirely about the fundamental economics of the business. Like, I will pass on the most aggressive top line growth in exchange for better fundamentals. Because at some point, like what, like what? Name some fundamentals, some metrics. CAC, CAC primarily, payback period primarily, right? These things that like you know are relevant to how much you're charging. So, what do you want your payback period to be under right now in today's market? I would like payback period under a year. I think every SaaS founder would. Um, We are not under a year, and I think that's that's you know that's traditional with these sort of like top. What are you at now? Uh, you're gonna press me on that point. Um, yeah. Not under a year. Um, so, it, it, but are you it, under? Are you under two right. years? Would you say? Uh, almost, almost always. Again, it fluctuates okay. quarter over quarter, month over month. But we're almost. What changes always, though do you yeah. make though in the business to try and get your money back faster, your CAC back faster? Yeah. So this goes. You know, reach for more tools across marketing and the revenue orgs. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of simple sort of expensive tools we can use to generate pipeline. But what we're doing now is building out better sophisticated content, making sure that like where we are spending money on advertising is more targeted and the audiences that we're marketing on, I think our team works with you guys, are specifically our ICP, right? Rather yeah, than I have to dis- I should extent. I should disclose that guys. <laughs> Flatfile pays uh, pays us a lot of money. We try and do a good job getting them good leads. But you guys run the metrics on that yeah. and you go, it's profitable or it's not, right? Right, exactly. So a lot more discipline around sort of where we're deploying capital, capital, and also just more diligence on the quality of our pipeline rather than the volume. Uh, And I think that's, you know, that's where a lot of we've seen like an almost 100% optimization uh, over the last two quarters, where we've been doing that. So like really bringing things back into the range that we're looking for as a business. David, just to be clear, for a mid market customer paying $15,000 a year, historically last year, you might be willing to pay 2x that for a two year payback, maybe 30k to get that user today, though, you're really trying to figure out how to get that, you know, how to get that same user for 20 grand or even 15k. Yeah, or yeah, quite a bit less. And marketing is not the only contribution to CAC. I think at, at no point is marketing ever over the over the uh, contract value of the business, but with a growing revenue org and success, or you've got a lot more than your marketing spend purely. So yeah. you know, mar- marketing, you know, you might have a few thousand dollars of marketing contribution to a deal, but by the time you stack up your sales team and your success team to get everybody implemented, now you start seeing like the whole picture of of CAC. Well, a lot of this is front loaded, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Real quick before we wrap up, what net dollar retention today? Can you can you give us a peek into that? Are you the one ten, one twenty range yet, or no? Yeah, yeah, well over 120. Um, and oh, we've wow. always been as a business. Our customers love the product and expand regularly. Um, the what we're excited to see now with our with more of a consumption model is it going significantly above that. Um, so yeah. really excited to see customers sort of starting with a smaller contract size and growing over time rather than necessarily prepaying and like loading that all up front. And what's your team size today? How many full time? We are just shy 80 people full time. Um, uh, yeah, so coming up coming up here on the on the north side of, of of that sort of early series b territory 
Yeah. So that's, I mean, can you, can you grow past eight, nine, 10 million in AR and, and, and not hire more? Like, can you do more with less and in, in these uncertain market yeah. conditions, your revenue per employee right now is about around 80,000, 90,000. Can you get that up to like mm-hmm. 110, 120, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's areas of the org that have been front loaded, right? Like the revenue org, like you have to build that team up and that takes some takes a while for all of that to be um, producing value, especially success, right? Success where there's a lot of money there, but like takes a while to come up on renewals and really see those expansions paying out. Um, so I think at this point, right, our, we have a number of orgs that are like well, like performing well and can, abs- can absolutely continue performing before they need to scale meaningfully further. And where we are scaling is on our build, build side of the house, where we can continue sort of increasing the contract value by giving our customers more of the thing that they need. All right. We got to wrap up here real quick. 50 million all balance sheet or is there any secondary in there? Oh, oh, all balance sheet. Oh wow! I was I was I was expecting you to smirk and say I can't answer it, in which I would have said there was secondary, <laughs> but that was all balance sheet. Wow. Okay. Um, cool. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. Favorite business book. Um, this I'm. I'll say this is not necessarily a business book, but this book is. Um, it it has influenced me more in my professional life than I think uh, any other book. It's this book called Die Empty. Um, if you haven't read it, it's it's you know the the simple thesis is our, our goal in life is to sort of not 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 escape the, the the terminal nature of life, but to make sure that as we get to get through our life, we're giving as much as we have to the world and to the things that we're doing. Um, and th- this this book has influenced almost every sort of way I think about business and think about the 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 process of of, of innovating. Um, so that's my favorite book. I'll I'll name it as my favorite business book. And your partner's running a ranch. Does she apply the same theory to everything ranch related as well? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I optimize think, uh, we the both cows could not be and... more different people. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. That's the book. Number two, is there a founder you're following or studying? Just one you really respect. I think right now there's the, the founders that are most interesting to me are founders that have been through a number of different market conditions and have have figured out the sort of the balances of each one of those uh, sort of eras for their for their business. Because in a high industry in a bull market, you do need to think about the success of your business in terms of top line growth. And yep. in more of a bear market, you have to shift that. And that's a complete sort of mental model shift. Um, so I think there's you know, a couple of companies that have done that well. I think we saw DocuSign go through a number of eras as a company. Um, we've we've seen uh, just a, a some of the more sort of mature growth companies have been able to go through a lot of that. So I think the founders I'm sort of paying attention to and are my advisors fit in that category. Makes a lot of sense. Number three, besides your own, what's your favorite online tool for building FlatFile? Favorite online tool for building FlatFile. Or you can't say ClickUp either. <laughs> I was going to shoot for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, it's interesting. I our team relies heavily on GitHub for just everything from discussions through, like, you think of GitHub as source code, but like we, our engineering team lives there. Um, we ideate there. Uh, we've been able to take an enormous uh, advantage of that and like avoid just getting thousands of different tools out uh, there. So I think it's it's interesting. I was trying to think about that answer because I think there's a lot of utilities that really have helped us grow. But like GitHub is where we spend the vast majority of our time. Uh, what yeah. about what about health? How many hours of sleep are you getting every night? 
Oh, <laughs> gonna press me on this. Um, none, none, uh, none health, none sleep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's that. One, <laughs> one area that is just not. I don't know. Maybe someday. Um, what do I mean? What do you think though? Five, six, seven hours. I I my, I try to shoot for more than five hours if if okay. I can, uh, and that's generally where like my body like is able to to get a good rest, and I don't I don't crash later in the day. So and David, what situation? Easy, easy married, single, kids? Married, no kids. No kids yet. All right. Uh, last question. How old are you? I am thirty three. And take us home. Something you wish you knew back when you were twenty. I wish I knew that uh, you can let go of things sooner than you want to with very few repercussions. Um, I was like a bull, like like a dog with a bone with like my first startup. I went three years too long with that. Um, I like ground myself to the ground trying to make something that wasn't going to how, work. David, how old were you when you did that? Those three years? I was in my early 20s. Yeah. Interesting. And you yeah. stuck with it. Were you funded or bootstrapped back then? I yeah, was bootstrapping with my my own with my own money. Uh, the money yeah. I, I lost. <laughs> um, but it was interesting. I got advice along the way, like, hey, like the signal is here. You really need to let this go. Like if it was going to be the growth, you know, thing you thought it was going to be, it you would see signal for that. And yeah. you know, founders with the boundless optimism, right? Like you just keep trying uh, so many times. And I think, you know, this led to a more conservative approach with launching Flatfile where I really wanted to see that business prove itself out. I wanted to act more like an investor going to my own business. and right? Is this proving what it needs to prove to me to like take more of my time? And I think that's changed the way I think about Flatfile, just more judicious and just taking, approaching it more like a fiduciary responsibility as a CEO to make sure the business grows and grows, grows well. Um, and we have uh, enough capital to keep it keep it doing doing that. Probably. Would you agree with this? this? Is the biggest thing I regret from my twenty to twenty five year old self? I was stuck in a SaaS company that was flat at a million. I'd raise some VC. I thought I had to keep plugging away for years to like make them their money back. When I really I should have shut it down, taken a small win, and gone yeah. and done my next thing. I wish I saved three years to do that. Sounds like you have the same sort of pattern. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, well, there you have it. Speaking of shutting things down early, he launches a little SDK because he was frustrated about writing C manual CSV importers. He goes back to his full-time gig, comes back, and he's got 500 down or sorry, 100 downloads, 20 installs, and over 20,000 sort of activated onboardings through the tool and says, wow, mm-hmm. I should launch Flatfile. This is back in 2018, 2019. Fast forward to 2020, they break a, a million bucks in revenue. Uh, fast forward to last year, they break 4 million in revenue, on track to double that this year. He won't comment on today's revenue, but feeling pretty good about it. Changing his position from, again, CAC payback period of maybe 24 months to get more healthy from a unit economic perspective. Sounds like he's doing it, but he also underlined the fact that creating a new category is very expensive, which is what he's going to use some additional 50 million he just raised today in his Series B for as he looks to continue to scale Flatfile with his team of 80. David, thanks for taking us to the top. Absolutely. Have a good one.